the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. It is often said that a prophet is not honored in his hometown, but today might be an exception. We're very pleased to have join us a very special guest, certainly no stranger to these microphones. He is the founding and senior pastor of New Beginnings Community Church, Pastor Herman Hamilton. Pastor Hamilton, always a thrill and a delight to have you join us. Oh, thank you. It's such an honor and a pleasure to be with you again, Craig. Now, I tongue-in-cheek uh, talk about the <laughs> the prophet who doesn't get honor in his own hometown. Uh, you're actually coming back to the San Francisco Bay Area. You were born and raised here. God had you on a trajectory in yes. other parts of the country that included a tenure of pastoring churches back in the greater Boston area. You worked right. as an adjunct professor for, uh, well, both Harvard Divinity School, Gordon Cromwell University, as well as at Yale University. And eventually God pulled you all the way back to the San Francisco Bay Area. Kind of walk us through that pathway. You've got a you've got an interesting story, and I want to maybe start out with some of the early challenges that you faced as a young boy. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Listen, you're right. I was born here in San Francisco, the fourth of four kids. And when I was born, I broke out with infertile rash. So did my sister next to me. I was six months old. Uh, the doctor diagnosed it correctly, but the medicine he gave me, I was allergic to it. Uh, and it created what they call chemical burns and my uh, mother was didn't know what was going on. She wrapped my head because to keep me from gouging and scratching. And one day she unwrapped the bandages and layers of skin unwrapped, unwrapped along with it. Horrible. And they rushed me to San Francisco General Hospital. They thought I'd been in a house fire, this six-month-old baby. They were frantically working on me, and they spilled stuff in both of my eyes, permanently damaging my uh, both eyes, but especially my right eye. I only have maybe 5% vision in that eye. I stayed in the hospital for about a year. Um, in that time, my uh, dad uh, said I wasn't his, and my mom took deathly ill, was about to put me in foster care because she couldn't keep me. My grand-aunt uncle, uh, my grand-aunt was married to a Baptist minister in Cushata, Louisiana, and she said, if you can get him to me, we'll keep him. What's remarkable about that, Craig, is that my grand-aunt had loved loved kids and had helped to raise my biological mom during some tough teenage years. She had kind of cared for her, but had been told she would never have kids of her own. And here she is in her early 50s and late 40s, early 50s. And my uh, granduncle is approaching 60. And uh, that door of generosity, uh, I would, I, I got there about two years old and um uh, I stayed with them until I was about six. My biological mom came to claim me and saw this remarkable relationship between me and them. And and the God moved on her heart, and she made a courageous decision to leave me with my grand aunt, uncle. And they raised me as their only child, which literally, spiritually, um, physically, and every other way saved my life. Uh, and, um, so I got to meet the Lord there in that household, uh, in the eighth grade and had a conversion experience. Uh, but Craig, I always say that it took, um, Jesus two years to make the trip from my, from my heart to my head. So <laughs> I was, a I started off as a special needs kid. And, um, you know, I always say I thought I was ugly cause I was scarred. Uh, so I acted ugly. I thought I was uh, stupid. So, uh, I, I did lots of dumb stuff, got into every kind of trouble I could get in. No teacher wanted me in their classroom. In the 10th grade, I had a, a brief experience where a young lady that I thought liked me uh, really was just using me to get her boyfriend riled up, and she succeeded. 
And uh, he, he, she had me to sit down beside her and whispered to me. Next thing I know, he tapped me on the shoulder. I got up. Uh, he hit me. I hit the ground. It was the end of the fight. But I walked into the bathroom, had an epiphany that I was flunking out of school. It didn't really bother me that much. But what I saw in that epiphany was my, my grand aunt and uncle being devastated. Uh, because they will have wasted the best years of the second half of their lives. So I turned to Jesus right there in the bathroom. And I said, Lord, they say if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. I said, I don't need you to move any mountains. I need you to open some doors. I said, I want to be on the stage with the honor students when I graduated. And I was, you know, nearly flunking out of school in the 10th grade. Uh, I said, I want to go to college. And I want my grand aunt and uncle to know that I haven't, they haven't wasted the best years of their lives. I walk out of that bathroom and kicked into a world history class, which became, um, uh, you know, the, the teacher told me when I reported to that class, funny story, my reputation outrun me when I got there, 60 year old lady, Miss Gafford, caught me in my car, pushed me up against the locker, took a finger, shook it in my face and said, boy, if you come in this class acting a fool like you do the rest, I'll kill you. Do you understand? <laughs> <laughs> so I go into class, I raise my hand and say something foolish, uh, make the class laugh. Out of my mouth comes the right answer. Everybody's shocked, especially me. She takes three seconds and says, um, boy, if you go home and study and stop acting a fool, you could be somebody. In retrospect, that was the voice of God speaking through her. I went home and started studying. Uh, by the end of the year, I became top five of her world history class. By the time I graduated, I was on the stage with the honor students and um, on my way to uh, college, Grambling State University, by way of the Republic of Chi- Taiwan, because I won a first place uh, competition, national competition that allowed me to experience a little bit of time in Taiwan. And yeah, the rest is history. Um, um, I became a philosophy and history major at Grambling State University, student body president, first student body to win a, a seat on the board of trustees. All miracles from God. All this little kid who was a special need kid who couldn't get out of his own way in Cushetta, Louisiana. I met and fell in love with my wife, Rhonda. That was 36 years ago. And uh, graduated, came back out here to San Francisco Theological Seminary to seminary. Um, very liberal seminary while being grounded in a evangelical, uh, charismatic, uh, African-American, socially engaged Presbyterian church in the inner city of San Francisco. So the best of all worlds in the sense of education. Um, and then went to Arkansas, pastor for three and a half years, then landed in Boston for 17 and a half years, Roxbury Presbyterian Church. A fabulous congregation, um, as was my first church, Faith Press, by the way, in Arkansas, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And there, um, you know, as you mentioned, I got to teach at Harvard Divinity and Gordon Conwell and uh, got to help give birth to an organization called the Greater Boston Interfaith Organization, which brought faith communities together. It's very unique for an evangelical Christian to facilitate that kind of work. Uh, but we just agreed to disagree on all the theology. We weren't talking theology. We were talking about how we could make a difference in the city. And uh, we helped to pass near universal health care there. We adopted a school and turned it around and raised about $75, $50 million at the time to build a brand new STEM school, the first of its kind in the state of Massachusetts. Uh, and then later uh, came out to pastor uh, Abundant Life, which was a large uh, multi-ethnic church here in the Bay Area. I was there as teaching pastor for two, roughly two years, uh, teaching backslash lead pastor. And uh, and then out of that church was born um, New Beginnings. And um, and that was, uh, oh my gosh, almost eight years ago. And uh, so, yeah, so now we have an, an incredible congregation, uh, multi-ethnic, diverse in every way you want to imagine, across race and ethnicity and class and politics, um, but rooted in the evangelical theological tradition. And uh, two campuses, as you've mentioned, uh, one in Ridwood City and one in San Jose. And um, yeah, and God is just doing incredible things uh, through 
through this ministry. So that's my story, man. That's, that's a little bit of my journey. I am struck by the fact that the name of the church, New Beginnings, is very much indicative of your own life journey, your life story. And, and interesting to note, and I think this is important to underscore, particularly for younger people that are listening, early on you sort of characterize your life experiences, uh, well, shall we say, a, a victim of stinking thinking, as my grandmother yes, used indeed. to say. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes it's a matter of um, head knowledge. We know who Christ is. We've learned of him, but the 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 value of that message has yet to travel at 18 inches from head to heart. In That's your right. case, it was almost reverse. Reverse in the sense that the heart change mm-hmm. led to a change of mind and a change of viewpoint. And I and I, I would wonder, Pastor, from your perspective, as you look at what's going on in our nation today, you know that we are wrought with all kinds of challenges. There's political division in this country. We're dealing with a health pandemic, the likes of which we certainly, no one alive has ever seen. Along with that, we're seeing cases of, of, of rampant sin, violence on the streets, all of this going on. And I wonder how much of it can directly be attributed to people who see themselves as worthless, see themselves as having no future, see themselves as losers. And so they behave that way because that's the way they think of themselves. And so as a result, they they never get spurned on to, to do things higher and better and of a greater caliber because they just don't think that they're capable of accomplishing that. Do you, do you think that's a, a big part of what's going on in our culture today? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think, um, you know, in two, I, I think about it in two ways. I think about it from the bottom up and from the top down. Uh, from my, in my case, uh, really figuring out that God uh, knew me personally, knew my name, knew me as relates to the DNA structure of my, loved me and truly had a purpose greater for me than I could ever had imagined. As I came into realization of that, it literally transformed how I saw myself as a scarred kid growing up, uh, how I understood myself as a person with gifts, but also this incredible faith that began to emerge, which essentially said uh, that with God, all things were possible. So I started reaching for things like competing in a national essay competition or running for student body president, or doing those kinds of things that historically I would not have done. Uh, so that's that's that was the reality for me, I'd say, from the bottom up. But I also know from the top down, I know that there are people who go to work every day. They are you know, they, they, they have millions of dollars in investment, uh, and yet they have this syndrome called the imposter syndrome. They, they, they feel like, you know, today is a day when people discover that, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Today is a day when I'm going to fall into failure. And again, it's the same route, though. People not being aware of the fact that God knows your name, that God has a call on your life, a purpose greater than yourself. And that as you lean into that, you don't have to worry about uh, life overtaking you. So you got to amass all this money and stuff. No, you just live out the purposes that God has, has given to you. So, so I, I think both from both ends, knowing that God knows you, loves you, has a purpose greater than you can imagine radically changes your life. And that's found in Jesus Christ as uniquely for me. You know, fascinating in today's society and culture, uh, you look at the younger people in particular who get all excited because they've got 10,000 followers on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> or, or I need your Instagram account. Oh, Be sure to friend me. We've seen people that have hundreds of friends on Facebook, and yet they die tomorrow. Nobody shows up at the funeral. That's exactly right. And yet the interesting thing is as much as we brag about things like that, they they know of us, but none of them really know us. Know us. That's exactly right. But the creator exactly God right. himself yes. not only knows us, 
Yes. He made us. Yes. And yes. I think the amazing part of the gospel message is when, when an individual has the Holy Spirit quickened to his heart, yes. the realization that not only does God know us, not only did yes. he make us, but he provided a way by which he might save us, yes. even while we're in the depth of our sin and deprivation and acting the fool and offending this holy and righteous God, yes. he stopped and said, that guy right down there, yes, that Herman, that Craig, mm-hmm. I, I want to know him and I want to walk in fellowship with him. I want to bless his life. I want to be a part of his life. And I'm going to provide the means by which my son can find healing, reconciliation, and restoration in relationship. I mean, folks can get their mind wrapped around that. Wow, that ought to be that poof, Absolutely. that explosive, life-changing realization. Yeah, listen, and at the core of that is this notion that God is a God who is for you and not against mm. you. And that most people have this perception of God as the the judge who is, is, I can't let him find me because if he does, he's going to kill me. But, but Jesus is the face of God. And yes, there is judgment, but he took that on Calvary's cross on behalf of all of us who put our trust in him and uh, squared away all of the stuff around our guilt and our shame and made it safe for us to boldly come into the presence of God in his name and discover a God who's for you, not against you, who, who, um, who wants to bless you, not curse you, who wants to redeem the brokenness of your life and bring value uh, and substance uh, to who you are and impact through you into the world. Uh, so that, that's that notion of how do I see God? Do I see, is he for me or against me? He's for you. Does he love me or hate me? He loves you so much so that he would give all he had for you. Is part of the the failure to communicate that message, does that belong squarely at the foot of believers today? And, and here's why I ask that question. I, I, there are often t- two types of people um, when it comes to whether or not they've ever made a decision for Christ. Some might say, well, I've, I've never believed in Jesus because I've never known a Christian. Others might say, well, I've never believed in Jesus because I know a Christian. And mm-hmm. so we oftentimes, I wonder if we fail to communicate that message. And I ask that question because how ironic it is that if you talk to the average non-believer out there and identify yourself as a Christian and ask, what is a Christian? More often than not, they will respond with a list of, well, a Christian is against abortion, it's against this, it's against... They know all of the things that we stand against. Against, yes. But then when you say, okay, tell us what we stand for, For. nobody can give an answer. And and I wonder if as a result, God gets a bad rap because we think he's up in heaven with a big stick just waiting for us to get out of line because he's all about punishment. And certainly the, the, the good news is not good news unless you know what it is good news that you're being saved from. Right. Of so that the totality yeah. of that message needs to be there. But I have to wonder if part of the failure here is that we have, as believers, either wittingly or unwittingly, communicated a message that really only tells part of the story, and that as a result, people don't get excited because they don't see others in us. They don't see that abundant joy leaping out of us. You are absolutely right. And, you know, in 1 John 3, uh, 16 through 18, it's a wonderful passage of Scripture because uh, it answers two questions. The first question it answers is, how does a believer know uh, that he or she is loved and what love is? And the writer says this. He says, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Uh, and so we ought to lay down our lives for others. So, so as a believer, I know that through the gospel. Then the question is, well, how do unbelievers know that God loves them? And it's picked up in that second part. So we ought to lay down our lives for others. Then it goes on and tells the story about if you pass somebody who is in need and you walk by them and have no compassion, then how can the love of God be in you? Here's the point. 
folk who don't know Jesus more than likely don't, you know, won't get to come to church to hear me preach. They will first experience him through you and me. And they will experience him through how we love. And here's one of the things that's uniquely valuable today, how we love across disagreement, Mm -hmm. how we love people with whom we may radically disagree on this issue or that issue or whatever the case is. Because what we got to understand is, listen, Jesus died for all of us. He didn't agree with all the stuff that makes us who we are, right? Uh, but his love was of such. Uh, one brother says uh, the, the, the agape love that Jesus demonstrated is really best defined as it wills the good for others. And um, uh, so we have to learn how to isolate where we disagree. And yet, even how we disagree, it needs to be with respect. Uh, it needs to be with a sense of of um, being able to hear the other person's story, uh, and it needs to be able. It needs to be in a context that says, you know what, we may reach different conclusions about this particular issue, but there are a whole lot more life that we can engage with, partner around, that you can experience uh, my support, and my love. Uh, I, we don't agree here, but look at all the other areas that that uh, I want you to experience. Um, my love and support for your life. So that's 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 where we are. Paul put it this way. He spoke of being all things to all men that he might win some. Ah, said so well. Absolutely. And we missed that point. And I and I have to wonder, as a as a leader of a church, as a pastor, mm. as a lover of Jesus, does it bother you at times when the church allows so much language of warfare? to yes. creep into our conversation, that we define people that don't think as we do, yes. that maybe don't have the walk that we do or the morals yes. that we do as our enemy. Yes, and that we're it is warfare. absolutely wrong. And absolutely. then I'm thinking to myself, did we, move, did we miss a point here or has the enemy confounded us? Because absolutely. Scripture talks about not having warfare and battles against flesh and blood, but rather Absolutely. against principalities and powers in high places. Absolutely. And wouldn't it just be like the enemy to get us to focus that warfare yes. not on him, but rather yes. on each other? And then yes. he can divide and conquer and collect up all the spoils. Does that bother you? It bothers me terribly. It's just horrible. We're not able to disagree without demonizing. We're not able to uh, articulate a, a perspective while creating space for people to have other perspectives. I mean, that's what's unique about our congregation. I mean, I have a diverse community. So if you have a diverse black, white, Asian, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, all worshiping together, obviously there are tons of things we disagree on. You got to create space for people to think differently, see things differently, and yet we agree on one thing, and that is that we've been saved by the blood of Jesus, and that the blood of Jesus makes us brothers and sisters across our differences, and uh, that we have more in common and we have that divides us. And so absolutely, this notion of demonizing people, going to war against people because of uh, an area or two of disagreement is ungodly. And uh, it has done great, brought great harm to the reputation of not only with the church, but it brings great harm to the reputation of Jesus. And, you know, here's one thing that I'll say to people who are listening. They may say, I don't want anything to do with the church because it's painful. I've had horrible experiences. I will just say this as a preacher. uh, Never confuse Jesus followers with Jesus. We're imperfect reflections of who he is. I just challenge anybody you know, just pick up a Bible, go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, begin to explore for yourself this one called Jesus. And then, you know, if you give your right life to that one, then become the light that you would have liked to have seen in other folk who were the name of Christian. One final comment, Pastor. Um, there is a list of some of the, the goals of the church that's on the website. And the one that yeah. struck me, and, and many of them are, are quite amazing, but the one that struck me, which is, I think, an appropriate note to end our conversation on, the most important person in our church is the one who well, isn't here. here yet. That's exactly and right. boy, if you're somebody who is seeking a church home, 
You maybe have had a church experience in the past and it didn't end well. You're engaged in researching the claims of Christ and you want to know, is this for me? What is this all about? And you're looking for a safe space to go and get some answers. We invite you to check out New Beginnings Community Church, nbccbayarea.com, where Pastor Herman Hamilton is the founding and senior pastor. Pastor Hamilton, always great to visit with you. I wish we had Uh, more time. We'll have to do it again, brother. Oh, so kind. Thank you. What an honor to be here with you, Craig. God bless you. I'm super excited that you guys are joining us for the third week of this series called Love is a Verb. And I got a lot to teach this week, and uh, I'm super excited about this message right here, guys. So let's jump right into our, our scripture. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. If you've been with us, you know we've been reading uh, same book, but chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 18. Now listen to what the writer says here. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. You know why? Because God is love. There's the reading. You know, the other day I was thinking about this series and this whole notion of love being a verb. And suddenly I had an epiphany, a revelation. It really just blew my mind. I, I was, I, I thought about uh, the comic books that I grew up reading and how those comic books have now been transformed into motion pictures, Marvels, and DC, and how these superheroes have come to life and how much I've so enjoyed watching them over the last couple of decades. And then it hit me. It really doesn't matter who your favorite superhero is, whether it's Superman or Wonder Woman, whether it's Captain Marvel or Captain America, uh, whether it's uh, Shang-Chi or or Black Panther, it doesn't matter who that person is, Spider-Man, etc. They all have one thing in common. Their ultimate superpower is not how fast they fly or how fast they run or how strong they are. It's not how incredibly Uh, innovative and brilliant they might be? No. The ultimate superpower that they all share in common is love. Yeah, love. And when I thought about that, I could almost hear this passage that I just read just ringing in the background of my mind. (laughs) Dear friends, uh, love one another. Love comes from God. (laughs) Anyone who loves has been born of God. And, and I started thinking about, about all the different ways that these various superheroes interacted and acted. And it hit me that ultimately what they did best and most consistently, that all of the dramas, you know what they all, they're about love. Yeah, it's not how powerful they are. Because each one of these superheroes have villains. And these villains oftentimes have, they have powers as well. But what separates the villains from the superheroes that we love is this notion of love. The villain take their power and their resources and, and, and they turn it, make it work for themselves. And they don't care who they hurt, who they destroy in the process. The superheroes that we like to watch. These are individuals who put themselves second and put everybody else forward as first and not only are they trying to protect people that they know and that they love most of the show shows are about them protecting strangers people that they only meet uh, in a in a moment in an instance who's in a crisis who's who needs somebody to defend them or rescue them or whatever the case is they are total strangers and yet these superheroes recognize an interconnectedness among us all whether on the planet or in the galaxy come on now depending upon what you're watching or reading yeah And as I think about these superheroes who are willing to be blown to bits in order to save people that they don't even know, I can't help but hear the writer of this text back a chapter earlier saying, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life 
for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for the other, for others, for our brothers and sisters. And, and, and suddenly I realize it is as though God has crept into the subconsciousness of humanity and have hijacked, come on now, the plot development of our cinematic features and have hidden in those various incredible uh, motion picture action shows around these super corners that point back to the gospel, to, to that love that we experience most perfectly in God who's revealed it in his son and to the one who declares you ought to replicate that kind of love in your own life. And you know what? Love, that kind of love. Well, God is love. <laughs> it's a superpower, guys. But at the end of the day, Superman, Wonder Woman, Iron Man, Black Panther, whoever it is, you know, they're spending their lives serving others. Love serves. Yeah. God kind of loves serves. All right. Now I've backed into kind of my first point here. I mean, the, really, the first point that you should circle is that there is a love that actually it's a superpower that you and I have access to. And it's not made up in some make-believe world. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Keep that in your mind. Secondly, when I say love, when the, when the scriptures say love, love one another, that love comes from God, that uh, anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God because well, Exactly what kind of love are they talking about? Because when I use the word love, I can use it in a variety of different ways. And so do you, right? I love the sweet potato pie that my daughter and my wife made, the pies that they made, the chicken and dress. I love that. Is that the same thing he's meaning in the scripture? Is just love one another, that kind of love? You know, I, I love my cats. You love your pets, right? I love my kids, my wife. Uh, uh, is that the kind? Which kind of love are we talking about? What kind of love is being discussed in this text? And that's one of the interesting things about life today. We use love to mean so many different things, right? We, in every facet. What kind of love is being talked about here? Well, essentially, it breaks down into two categories. The first kind of category in terms of love as we experience it is what I call self-focused love. And I don't mean it in any negative way. It only becomes negative when this becomes the extreme. But all of us have self-focused or self-interest love. That's another way of saying it. Uh, lo I love in a way that, that feeds my self-interest. Here's the definition. We love something or someone because we derive a benefit from that something or someone. I love sweet potato pies because I derive a benefit. You love your pet because they may protect you. They may provide nurture. You derive a benefit. As a matter of fact, oftentimes most of our love affairs start off in the same kind of way. You can hear Romeo declare when he sees Juliet for the very first time. He says, you know, he says, I've never seen a beauty until tonight. Everything else fades, you know. You know, um, most of our love affairs starts off in the same way. <laughs> we derive a benefit from being with that person we see. So that's one category. That is not the love that's mentioned in this text. That is not the love that, is, that, 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 that we see and find ultimately in God. It's the second category that this text is talking about. It's... It's what I call others focused love. It's, it's the kind of love that the superheroes model that God has, if you will, has, has, has in a, in a way hidden in these superhero stories. And, and, and we are attracted to these stories because God has shaped us in such a way to be attracted to that kind of love. And He shaped us in such a way that we can become vehicles of that kind of love. It's this. It's we extend love to someone not for our good, but for there. All right, think about the text. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ gave up his life, not for his good, 
but for us. Watch it. And we ought to give up our lives, not for our good, but for our brothers and our sisters. We have access to real life superpower powers called love. God's love that serves. Here's how St. Thomas Aquinas talks about it. He says, to love is to will the good for another. You see, the, the word love in the Greek text, what I just read, is agape. And it doesn't mean that you're, you like the people. that you. It says, love your brothers and sisters. That's a complicated group of people. Right? He's really talking about people who we share in the community. And that community was going through some division and some splits and some anger, very much like what we're living. A lot of polarization was happening in John's community at the time. And so when he was talking about love, he was talking about, you, I'm calling you to love people that you disagree with. I'm calling you to love people that you don't like. That this is how the love of God works. Come on now, in Jesus, who died for people he disagreed with. Come on, who died for people he didn't particularly like. But, but, but he willed the good. Come on now. It's not about feelings. It's about willing the good, wanting to see the best for others. It is a love that serves and I'm telling you, it's a superpower. It'll change you. It changes the world around you. It changed history as it worked itself out in real life in Jesus Christ. And it continues to change history. Come on now. As it has worked itself out through followers of Jesus who practicing a love that serves has literally helped to change the world a hundred times over. Superpower. All right. Here's the deal. Before I can really experience the fullness of this love, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta exercise it. I gotta develop it. You practice it to develop it. I told you that last week. You gotta grow it. Just because it's born in you doesn't mean that it's growing in you. You've gotta stretch those muscles. And one of the things that makes it easy for us to practice stretching the muscles of God's love, learning how to channel that superpower that God has shaped for you and shaped for me, is, is actually, uh, it becomes easier when we are filled up with it. In other words, we get full of it by seeing God's love and experiencing it. As, as, we, as, as, we, as we have to train the brain to see God's love and train the brain to experience it. Okay. Here's what I mean. Uh, the brokenness within us naturally gravitates to the brokenness outside of us. The, 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 the negative stuff inside of us naturally seek to feed on the negativity of outside of us. And there's so much for us to feed on. It occupies our time. It has a way of blocking out of our minds. Come on now. The reality of God's goodness and love in the world. And yet I've said this before. That God's love is all around us because God has, has literally built into the DNA structure of creation a love that serves if you look at the moon and the sun and the stars, you see that they don't just exist for themselves. Uh, they provide light and life to this planet and to the galaxy. Come on. If you look at the, at the trees and the, and, the, and the green vegetation, they don't just exist for themselves. They pull the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. They put oxygen in the atmosphere. They provide fruit for us. They provide a, a, a resting place for the birds. Come on now. You look at the ocean. It doesn't just, the, the oceans do not just exist for themselves. They, they house the, 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 the underwater world of fish and sea life. The, the flowers don't just exist for themselves. They, they provide nectar to the bee. And as the bee goes from flower to flower, he provides pollinization that keeps the process going. God has literally built a serving love into creation. It is consistent with who God is himself. In his son, he declares these words. Jesus says, the son of man did not come into the world to serve, but to, to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for others. And whoever takes Jesus into your life, that is the superpower of a love that serves. Yeah. 
But we miss it, don't we? Because we get preoccupied with all the stuff that's going on around us. Just turn on the TV. All of the brokenness, right? You turn on the TV and you've got all of the commentary and all of the discourse around uh, 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 Kyle uh, Rittenhouse's verdict. Or you have the stuff that's going on with Mr. Aubrey's uh, trial around in terms of the people who were involved in his loss of life. And all of the tension, the racial stuff, the political stuff. Come on, this, Russia is, is, is mobilizing troops on the border of a sovereign nation. All kinds of stuff is going on uh, at the southern border here in America. Come on, you just look around, there's all kinds of stuff. There's debates about being vaccinated and mandates. And, and all this different stuff is seeping into our family relationships and into our homes and into our churches. And if that's not bad, that's on top of the stress and stress we have with raising our kids and trying to help our grandchildren to grow up and, and trying to manage the relationship with the people that we're in love with and trying to work through our stuff with our siblings and all of that stuff going on. And, 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 and it's, but it, it, it preoccupies us in such a way that we can easily miss God at work in our lives we can here's the thought I want you to remember if I feed regularly on that which is toxic I more than likely will become toxic if I focus and saturate and sit in front of the TV and, and just soak up come on now all of the pain that is around me, and if I, if I meditate on the pain that is around me, if, I, if I, I spend all my time thinking about how unfair life is and how horrible life is and how broken life is, come on now, pain, pain, pain. You know what that will? It, 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 it threatens to turn me into a pain, a pain for people to live with, a pain for people to work with. It will turn me into a pain. And so you know what the antidote is? The psalmist says you have to distinguish the difference between what I call passively being grateful versus actively giving thanks. Here's an example of passively being grateful. I walk up to you. You've been just surrounded. You've been submerged in all the horrible things that's going on. Your attitude is funky. Come on. And I ask you about how things are going. And you say, you know, and I say, well, you know, God has been good to you. God has blessed you. You say, well, I guess that's kind of right. You tell me about, about your, your roommate, how the roommate is getting on your nerves. And yet I point out, you know, but the roommate is there p- paying rent every month, making sure that you got to, you see the goodness of God. You say, wow, I hadn't thought about that. Come on, you complain about, you know, the, 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 uh, the, 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 you know, the job and all of the trouble at work. And I point out, but you got a job in a world where so many people are unemployed. You say, wow, I didn't realize that. And you might go, well, no, I haven't thought about it. I'm kind of grateful. That's passively. But the psalmist says, you've got to train the brain to see the goodness of God. And, as, and the more you see God's goodness, the more you'll begin to experience the goodness of God. That's serving love. That's really God's superpower that is work at work in you and in your life. Come on now. <laughs> it, it, it makes me remember this text that says God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think or imagine if we can train our brain come on now to see God and to experience his love because the text says according to his power come on at work within us so the psalmist says you've got to be active you've got to open up your mouth you've got to look for the goodness of God you've got to write down the goodness of God that's what the psalms are they're writing it down you've got to be able to speak it out and tell people about the goodness of God look at the command that comes in Psalms 107 he says give thanks somebody shout give thanks give thanks to the Lord come on now for he is good his faithful love endures Forever, if you were weeping last night, God's faithful love wept with you. If you're experiencing pain right now, God's faithful love is engaged in that pain with you. He is attending to you. Come on now. And there are blessings around you. Even in the midst on your worst day, God is not only good, he's been good to you. Listen to what Psalmist says in Psalms 34. He says, I will. Somebody shout, I will. He says, I'm going to make a choice. He says, I'm going to decide. He says, I'm going to say it out loud. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually in good days and bad days continually be in my mouth because, because I'm going to make it a practice to look around and see all of the ways that God is serving me. 
and I'm going to say out loud to God and I'm going to say out loud to other people in my life. Here's all. Here's here's where I see the goodness of God today. I'm going to call it out. Come on now. That he woke me up this morning. I'm going to call it out that I, that I had a warm bed to sleep in shelter over my head. I'm going to call it out that when I turned on my faucet in my shower, hot water came out. Come on now. I'm going to call it out that I could fix lunch and take it to work with me. That I had a bus to catch the lunch. I'm going to call it out that the blood still runs warm in my vein. I'm going to call it out. Yeah. I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to bless the Lord. So here's your homework assignment over the next seven days. You know, every day, write out three things that God is blessing you, three ways that God is moving in your life, three ways that you see the goodness of God at work in your life. And as you see it, it fills you up. My wife told me that she went for a jog just the other day and she said she ran for about 35 minutes and she said she has started practicing praying as she runs. And she said this last jog, all she did was give God thanks. For 35 minutes, she just started thinking about the blessings of God, the goodness of God, the things that's going right in her life, in her family's life. And our lives are not perfect. We got all kinds of chaos going on and trouble. And yet, when she thought about the goodness of God, it outweighed the misery and the pain and the horror of life itself. Call it out. You got to be active in your thanksgiving. That's a practical way to train your brain to see God and to experience his serving love. Wow. And then secondly, once I fill up my life with God's love, then I've got to pour it out. And if, I, if, if I, my life is full of gratitude, it's easier for me to pour that love out into the lives of others, even people that I don't agree with, that I don't particularly, I'm not attracted to, that I don't particularly, I'm not in alignment with, but I can wield their good. I can be there to serve and try to be a blessing to move them towards God's best for their lives. And so here's the point. Extend God's love and multiply it. The more I extend it, the more it multiplies in my life. Listen to what the writer says in verse 7. He says, dear friends, listen, you've got to continue to love one another. Continue to love across differences. Continue to will the good for those that you don't particularly like. Continue to learn how to serve those who, who, have, who, who will do nothing. It's not in your self-interest. Continue to use the superpower of God's serving love in the world. And it will change you. Now, here's an expression of how that looks, guys. Here it is. God love serves without attitude. In other words, it's willing to be inconvenienced. Inconvenienced. Yeah. Yeah. If you have attitude with the serving that you do, if you're reminding people that you're doing them a favor, you're not doing it willingly. And you remember the text says God blesses a cheerful giver. It's also true. God blesses a cheerful servant who serves others. Oftentimes I may do something for a staff member, a friend, and they say, oh, you don't have to do X. And I will always remark, yeah, if I had to do it, it wouldn't be an expression of love. Yeah. I'm willing to be inconvenienced. Hmm. You know, my daughter is a great model of this. Uh, a number of months ago, our family decided to, to, to take my 13-year-old nephew because of the brokenness of life. He was in a tough situation, and we took him into our home. It's remarkable about the cycle of life. You know, I was raised by my grand aunt and uncle, and now here I am, an uncle to this young man, helping to raise him. But it was going to be a heavy lift, and so we... we Consulted as a family and agreed as a family, we would all do our part. And my daughter says, I'll take the responsibility of working with him as homework. Now, he came from a state that was the second from the bottom in education. And although he's extremely smart, that's a huge transition, right? And he comes to the Northern Bay here in California, high performing educationally, uh, the school system, high demands. And so he was having some struggle in some of his class, particularly in math. And my daughter, by the time he started school, was still working long shifts. And she was also transitioning and going to school. But whenever she got home, no one had to tell her. She would initiate. She would say, okay, go get your work. And she would sit down and work hour after hour after hour. 
There was no complaining from my daughter. There was no making my nephew feel like I'm doing you a favor. There was no, you ought to be grateful for the fact that I'm doing this. There was no hurry up. Let's get this done so that I can get me some rest. None of that. I was so shocked at her, of her, of her attitude of just pouring love on her, on her cousin. I would learn months later that she would actually study different learning patterns so that she could more effectively tutor him. And then a number of weeks into the school system, I get a call from my nephew's uh, teacher. I think he's in trouble. But she says, I'm just calling you because you, your nephew is in my eligible class. And the dramatic turnaround that he has done in my class is just unma- amazing. It's almost unprecedented, she was suggesting. And I thought about, wow, how wonderful it is because he's just a bright kid. But also, what a blessing it is that my daughter used her superpower, come on now, of a, of a serving love to make the difference. You know, from now, I, I, you know, she, for me, she's my super girl. Come on now, yes, I'm bragging on the girl because she's bragging material. But here's the good news is that when you use your serving power to be a blessing to others, whether they're in your family, are not in your family to put yourself out. Come on now. Not in your name, but in the name of Jesus. I want you to know that your father in heaven, he brags on you. He says, you're bragging material. Why? He declares you are extraordinary. You know what extraordinary is? Extraordinary. You're outside of the ordinary. Come on now. You're not the norm. You are a life that he can use to do great things, utilize to do great things in this Broken, toxic world. He needs you. Yeah. All for yourself. Yeah. Notice what the writer says, verse 10. This is real love, guys. Not that we love God, but that he would dare love us. And inconvenience himself by sending his heart, that is his only begotten son, who would inconvenience himself by sacrificing his life to, to pay to, in an atonement to take away our sins, to remove sins from our lives. Wow. Oh, that's that love right there. That's a superpower. <laughs> Yeah, that's the love that raised Jesus from the dead. That's a superpower. That's the love that God says, I want you to grow in your life as a follower of Jesus. Yeah, that right there, that love right there, that's a superpower. Here's my last point. Take a picture of it. The more I will the good for others, another way of saying, the more I love people with God's love, with God's serving love, the more that love transforms me, the more I'm filled up with all the good things that God is, all the blessings, all the ways that God is sustaining me in the midst of horror and pain and all that. And the more I concentrate, meditate on the, 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 the ultimate expression of God's love, which is his son, Jesus, who, who pours his life out on a, on a Roman cross to pay the price for all of my sins and all of that stuff, right? To, to take away, that's what the text meant, to take away from me the guilt and the shame. I still have regrets, but those regrets, they make up the grist for my lessons and for my wisdom for the future, but no shame and no guilt because he has discharged it all. Oh my goodness. The more I meditate on how he loves me through my brokenness and loves me through my, through, through all of my ups and downs and, and the things I get right and the things I get wrong and how he forgives me. Come on and fills my life with grace. Come on. The more it transforms me and it will transform you. It'll take the selfless and make you selfless. It'll take the arrogant and the proud and make you humble. It will take that person who, who is unforgiving and vengeful and make you graceful and forgiving. It changes you. It changes you. You know, at the end of the day, if we get how he keeps loving us, it allows us to be forgiving to others. It allows us to see others through eyes of grace. It allows us then, therefore, to seek to will the good of others, despite where we may be different 
Or will we make disagree? And when that happens, his superpower is unleashed in the world. A love that serves. Let me end here. Not only does God love serves, it saves. Yeah. You know, the fact of the matter, this world is a mess. You know, it could have been you or me, or it might be you or me the next time there's a parade massacre. But here's what I know, that the God who, who, who has served me through his love all of my earthly life is a God who has served me in such a way that he saves me. Yeah, that if death overtakes me, I don't have to worry about my sins. I don't have to worry about being guilty because he's paid for that on Calvary's cross. If death overtakes me, I don't have to worry about it having the final word because, the, because Jesus broke through the power of death and is the resurrected one who holds my life in his hand and I move from time to eternity. Yes, his love saves. His love saves. And loving like Jesus, politically and socially and in our family life, come on across our differences, is the only hope that America, our communities, your home, our family, our world, it is the only hope we have. A love that seeks to wield the good for others. And so I end with this wonderful passage that I've been quoting every, every week. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth of that incredible superpower by our actions of love. Lord, make this so in our lives and in the lives of everyone who hears this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want you to aim the camera on your phone right at the QR code right here on the screen. It's going to take you to our connection card and to the section entitled Next Steps with Jesus. And the very first option that you're going to see is the opportunity for you to totally turn your life over to the one who is the ultimate source of this incredible superpower of love that I talked about during this message, a love that serves. And that's Jesus Christ. He's waiting for you to totally surrender your life to him so that he can have his way both in and through your living and release that power, that transformative power that I talked about. So go ahead and check that. There's some other options that you can also select as well. And then I want you to pay attention to the response to the message. If you, the best way to practice this incredible love that serves is to do it in community. So I want to give you an invitation right now to join with us and participate in our Be Rich to Others holiday uh, outreach effort and simply check the box that says, yeah, I'll pray five minutes a day. I'll put together some hygiene kits to, to provide for those who are unhoused. And yeah, I'll make a sacrificial gift uh, to, to be a part of helping tens of thousands of people experience the love of God in a very concrete way, because at the end of the day, love God's love serves. And lastly, as it relates to the response to the message, I want you to take a picture of this uh, reflection question, rather, this reflection question. Here it is. How willing am I to be inconvenienced for others? Pastor Herman Hamilton, senior and founding pastor of New Beginnings Community Church. Two campuses, 1550 Alameda de los Pulgas in Redwood City and 72 North 5th Street in San Jose. Check it out on the web at nbccbayarea.com. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.